This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to the internet and radio ministry of the Christian Crusaders. Some popular preachers like to teach about God's intent to bless us financially and physically if we only had enough faith. Oftentimes, God's Word is taken out of context to make us feel good. In today's program, we're going to decipher a well-known and well-used verse from Scripture to learn its true meaning for our good. Please join us for our message, Twisted, God's Plan for Us. There are many verses in the Bible that get taken out of context and twisted and used to say something that they were never originally intended to say. So in this next short sermon series I've entitled Twisted, we're going to examine some of these verses and see what great truths that they really do hold for us. We begin our time together in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for your holy word, which reveals to us how wonderful you are and the plans that you have for us. We humbly ask that you would speak your life-giving truth to us once again as we open scripture. Amen. Shall pray. 
Our reading for today is taken from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, beginning at verse 10. For thus says the Lord, Only when Babylon's seventy years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Oh, my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great. And your heart is kind For all your goodness I will keep on singing Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find Bless the Lord, O my soul O my soul Worship His holy name Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name. And on that day, when my strength is failing, the end draws near, and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending Ten thousand years and then forevermore Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul Worship His holy name Sing like never before Worship your holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my 
Friends, are you familiar with this Bible verse? For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. In all likelihood, you probably are familiar with these words from Scripture. You've probably seen them on graduation cards as well, or encouragement cards or on posters and plaques in Christian bookstores, or on other Christian merchandise such as coffee mugs. They're beautiful, nice, comforting, strengthening words, but we need to ask, what are they really all about? What is their meaning for us? The way we sometimes see this verse used seems to imply that God has plans to give individuals of prosperous careers or good health or even money in the bank. I've seen it used in the spirit of patriotism for our nation. God has plans for America. Or I've heard people use it as they're pursuing their personal dreams, that God is backing me up on this dream that I'm after. The truth is, that's not a really good use of this verse. But at the same time, it does hold some good news for us, this verse, if we look at it carefully and try to get to the author's original intention. Then we can apply it meaningfully. By the way, let me share with you a Bible study tip before I get into the passage. And that tip is, it is so important that when you're looking at Bible passages, that you look at them in context so that you can find their true meaning and not end up twisting them into something that we want them to say. We need to ask questions. Where is this verse found? Where is this particular book that it's taken from in the whole context of the salvation story? What kind of literature is this? Is it a narrative? Is it from a poem? Is it uh, some wisdom literature? Is it a letter? We need to ask, where do we find this within the context of the narrative? Is it the beginning? Is it in the middle? Is it at the end of the story? And so on. All of these things matter. It's important that we, perhaps before we even tackle a book of the Bible, that we look at the introduction to it that's written there in so many of our Bibles now. So you get a feel for the lay of the land. Now, this Bible verse happens to be found in a letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, the priests and the prophets, and all the people that had been dragged off to Babylon as a punishment for their unfaithfulness to God. The situation was this. That covenant relationship that the people of Israel had with God had been broken by them. They had been disobedient. They had not followed the commands and the, and the statutes that God had given them to operate by as a community. And God 
had finally reached that boiling point, and now they found themselves deported. Refugees living in a strange new land. That's what world powers did back in those days. When Babylon was a world power, when they conquered a nation, they'd take a good share of the population away from their homeland in order to disperse them so they couldn't cause trouble later on. And this dispersion had to be tough on these folks. They didn't know the language, the customs. They had to have felt very far from God and his temple. And they were homesick. We get a feel for how they, what they were going through in Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we wept. And as they experienced this new painful reality, it seems that there were some preachers that came on the scene that told these folks, Oh, this isn't going to be very long. God has told us that in our dreams. Don't sweat it. They tried to put a positive spin. And what we have today in our passage, it's Jeremiah writing a response to what those preachers were saying. And this response is spoken on behalf of God. And it says basically this, those preachers are wrong. You had better get settled in. Build houses, plant your gardens, eat from those gardens, start families, seek the welfare of the city you're in, and even pray for the welfare of the city you're in, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now, obviously, this was not an imprisonment that these folks were experiencing. They were not behind bars or barbed wire. They were free to make a go of it in this foreign land. But according to God's plans, we see that this was going to be a very long stay, 70 years. But then Jeremiah goes on to say that God has a promise for them. He says, after 70 years, God will bring you back. Just as he had promised back in Jeremiah 25, we come across this. And our verse is a part of that promise then. God says, for surely I know the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare and not your harm, to give you a future and a hope. And he finishes off the promise by saying, Then and only then, though, you will pray for your return, and I will hear you. And when you search for me, you'll find me. And if you seek me with all your heart, I'll let you find me, and I'll restore your fortunes and gather you and bring you back. So we need to ask, of course, so what happened? Did God keep his promise? And the answer is yes, he did. He always keeps his promises. The exiles were eventually set free 70 years later when Babylon, as the world power, fell to the Persians. And Ezra 1.1 tells us that God stirred the spirit of Cyrus, of the king of Persia, to issue an edict to let his people return home to rebuild the homeland. Just as God had said to them through Jeremiah. So, does this verse hold any meaning for us as followers of Jesus Christ in 2018? Does it apply to our lives or should I throw away my Jeremiah 29 coffee mug? No, don't throw it away yet because it has meaning for us. If you look at it in a bigger context, it has meaning for us. 
the context of the whole salvation story, the big story of God. Though this passage, Jeremiah 29.11, is not written to you and me personally, but to some disobedient Jews in captivity, it still holds good news for us later on. And it gives us some truths to keep in mind and to live by. We learn about the holiness and the bigness and the faithfulness of God in this story, don't we? God takes sin very seriously. He punishes sin. He disciplined them. We know that as we look at the cross, how seriously God takes sin, don't we? We're reminded of that. And we were reminded in this passage that God is in control. He says, I know the plans I have for you. I'm in charge. And we see in this passage the faithfulness of God as well. In spite of their sin, he still considers them as people and has a plan for them. He gives them an assurance that he's going to restore them as a nation. We also see that God has a plan that will impact us. Though the people of Israel perhaps do not know that at the time. It's a plan that began in a, in a garden. As a disobedient Adam and Eve and a treacherous serpent stand before God. And God says to the serpent, and his heel will crush your head. Victory will be mine. Evil will be overtaken. It began uh, at, at the end of Genesis 11 into Genesis 12, when God taps a fellow on the shoulder named Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I have plans to give you land and many descendants and to make you a blessing to the nations, all the peoples of the world. God has a plan, we learn in this story. This is a judgment grace story. They've been sinful and unfaithful, yet he's keeping them as his people, and he still has plans for them. He isn't done with them. There's the big story that still needs to happen, though they must have wondered, is God done with us? I wouldn't blame him. We've been anything but obedient, but he wasn't done with them in spite of that sin, was he? And thank God he wasn't done with them, and here's why, because otherwise there would be no blessing to the nations, the peoples of the world. There would be no Savior, no Messiah, no Christ who said later on to a Samaritan woman at a well, salvation is from the Jews. You see, this little verse is more of an announcement, a reminder for people like you and me, if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, saying the plan was fully carried out. God would rescue his people and bring them back home to the promised land. He would reestablish them. And in that promised land, he would eventually send his son into this world to carry out his plans for your welfare, which literally means shalom, peace, your well-being. For your well-being, he will go to a cross and suffer God's wrath for humanity's sin. He will be raised on the third day to rescue you and me from sin and death and the power of the devil. He will free us from captivity. He did all that to make you rich in Christ, to make known the riches of his glory to you and to me who believe in Jesus. 
And if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, God has already seen to your welfare. You are the recipient of unsearchable riches and fortunes and an imperishable inheritance that's prepared for you in heaven. Forgiveness, a restored relationship with your heavenly Father. Freedom, a heavenly promise, a place prepared for you. Now, as far as health and finances and careers and possessions are concerned, these remain uncertain. And we're, we are told not to set our hopes on them. God doesn't make promises about these things. The prosperity, gospel, health and wealth, name it and claim it, preachers would have you believe otherwise. But it just isn't going to be found in Scripture, what they're telling you. In fact, you they're doing the very thing that Jeremiah was condemning in this letter, putting words in God's mouth that are not God's words. They're telling lies. And if you buy into that kind of garbage, you will be sadly disappointed and your faith will be shaken again and again. But if you know what you have in Christ, the riches that are yours, then his grace will be sufficient even in times of poverty and trials. Because you see, in Christ, you do have a hope and a future. God wants to conform you to the image of his Son. That's his plan for your life, to make you more loving and kind and patient and self-controlled and generous. We call that the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, he wants to welcome you into his heaven, to a place that's been prepared for you. He wants to give you a relationship with himself, that you might experience his presence every moment of your life. With the promised one of Israel, Jesus Christ, we know that a new day is coming, that God has a plan of a new heaven and a new earth, and soon and very soon we are going to see the king, and all will be well, and there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more tears. God has a plan. So forget about that health and wealth stuff, and set your mind on things above, as Scripture says. God is looking out for your welfare. He wants you to prosper in the sense that you have been given access to his riches in the grace of Jesus Christ. Enjoy that. And remember this, when our sin has overcome us and everything is hopeless on the human scene and things are looking like it's 17 to nothing and this game's a laugher, God still has a plan for the future. And when it seems like evil is winning over good, when everything lovely and gracious and pure in our world seems to fall victim to corruption and evil, God still has a plan for your future. And when we stand beside the grave of a loved one and all the pain floods over us and we realize that we can't say what we wanted to say and can never more do what we wanted to do for that dead one, God still has a plan. And when the meek and the peacemakers and the pure in heart of God's kingdom get trampled into the dirt, when the weak are constantly sacrificed on the altars of power and the proud and the mighty strut around the earth like they own the place and have the last word, God still has his plan. And when there seems like there's nothing ahead of us but a crucifixion, when the Gethsemane of 
prayer is darkened by the shadow of a looming Golgotha, God still has a plan. And it's a plan of love and grace to save us and our world despite the fact that we deserve nothing but God's condemnation of death. He has a plan. Oh, what grace we've been given, my friends. So the bottom line here is this verse is this is a call to faith for each and every believer in Jesus Christ to trust in the plan, in the promises this faithful God has given you in Christ. Walk with him all your days, following Jesus, and serve him and obey him and trust him in everything and call upon him in times of trouble and in times of joy and seek him with all your heart and be assured of this. Absolutely nothing, and I mean nothing, can separate you from his love through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Would you pray with me before we go on our way today? Lord, thank you for the promises and riches that are ours through Jesus Christ. It's in the name of that Savior. We ask you to help us live our lives confidently, trusting in you. Amen. Now, as you go on your way, may Christ go with you. May he go before you to show you the way, behind you to encourage you, beside you to befriend you, above you to watch over, and within you to give you his peace. Amen. You've been worshiping with the Internet and Radio Ministry of the Christian Crusaders. We pray today's message will help you trust in your faithful God all your days as you follow Jesus. Serve him, obey him, and call upon him in times of trouble and in times of joy. Christian Crusaders' first program aired on September 6th in 1936 as an hour-long broadcast of the worship service at Trinity Lutheran Church in Waterloo, Iowa, to serve the community of believers who were unable to attend services. 
82 years later, our purpose remains the same. We are grateful to our listeners and supporters who have helped us continue serving the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world through airwaves, the internet, and satellite. If today's program has spoken to you and you are able to do so, we ask that you consider making a prayerful and financial contribution to this ministry so we can continue to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to listeners across the country. Address your letters of support to Christian Crusaders, Post Office Box 522, Cedar Falls, Iowa 50613. We also encourage you to visit our vibrant website where you can find both a printed and audio copy of today's message as well as many recent messages. Visit us online today at christiancrusaders.org. We are happy you were able to worship with us this day and we pray you will join us again next Sunday on this station. Conducting our service was the Reverend Steve Kramer. Senior Pastor of Shepherd of the Valley Lutheran Church in Afton, Minnesota, and Speaker on Christian Crusaders, now beginning its 83rd year of continuous Sunday worship broadcasting. <laughs>